continuing our sermon series, Peace, Stillness in a Fidgety World. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a famous psalm that's probably the most famous Bible passage, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, kind of drilling into just one sentence in that. Psalm 23, beginning with the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. If you drive by our house about 2.30 a.m., you might look and you might go, what's going on in there? All the lights are on, they got a spotlight looking everywhere. Well, usually at 2.30 in the morning, we are in a frantic, all-out search for a pacifier. And at that point, you're looking anywhere and everywhere, the freezer, under the couch, the bathtub. And after all of that, you move out to the cars. And after all of the cars, you move to the dog's feeding dish in the garage. It's an all-out search for that special pacifier. Because only if you have that pacifier is there sleep for everyone else the rest of the night. You could basically say, if only I could have a pacifier, I could have some rest. But it's not our only if-only moment at our household. I've got boxes of if-only toys. And you might have boxes of if-only toys as well. You know what I'm talking about. Those gadgets and contraptions when you're in the store and the child has the breakdown and says, I have to have this. If I only had this, I wouldn't need any more stickers, ever. If only I had this car, I wouldn't need any more cars. You've all been there. And not just for your children. You see, you have boxes of gadgets for your children. You have garages of gadgets for yourselves. (laughs) I think you could basically say parenting is a roller coaster named If Only. But actually, parenting isn't the only ride of If Only. Our life is basically a ride of If Only. We live constantly saying, if only I had this, or if only I had that. In other words, I'm not sufficiently satisfied until I get this or I get that. All of us at some point, or we are currently on this ride. We've experienced the if-only syndrome. Or you might want to just basically say, we struggle with discontentment. We constantly want more and more. Discontentment does a variety of stuff to us. Two big things, reasons that discontentment, discontentment is so troublesome. The first thing that discontentment does to us is it robs us of celebration. Find me a person who's constantly discontent and is also celebrating life. They just don't go together. When you're discontent, you're not celebrating. The second thing that discontentment does is it 
constantly puts us in a mode of covetousness. When we're discontent, we want something. And when we want something, that makes us look at other people differently. You see, when I want something, I begin to look at people who have that differently than I do. And so I begin to treat them differently than I should. Covetousness begins to also then treat people lower than us because sometimes we have something that they want. Covetousness is not just dangerous for our soul, but it's dangerous for the people around us because it hurts relationship. It makes us view people differently. Ultimately, you could say that discontentment stops us from loving others because our focus is where? Getting what we need, getting what we want. So people are a means to an end rather than people being an end in and of themselves. Discontentment is dangerous, but it's alive and well in most of our hearts. And most of us don't have stillness right now in our lives because we have discontentment. We haven't learned what the Apostle Paul learned in Philippians 4 that was read for us earlier. Just a reminder from Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. A secret, I'm sorry. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul was telling his readers, hey, I appreciate that you're thinking about me now and remembering me in my difficult circumstance. But he says to them, guess what? Even in the midst of this difficult circumstance, I'm sufficiently satisfied. Because that's what it means to be content. To be content is to be sufficiently satisfied in our being, our heart, our mind, and our soul. This is exactly what God wants for his people. This is exactly the first phrase that we hear in the most famous Bible passage of all time, Psalm 23. The psalmist simply says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's it. He just puts it right out there right away. So the psalmist had learned the same thing that Paul had learned, had learned the ability to be sufficiently satisfied in their heart, in their mind, and in their soul. Well, well why? Why, was, why is the psalmist able to say he doesn't want anything? Why is Paul able to say that even in the midst of difficult circumstance, he's sufficiently satisfied? There's really two reasons that Scripture drives home for, for why we should be content. The first is this. We can be sufficiently satisfied with God. This is extremely simple. and So you might be like, well, I was hoping for a little more this morning. This almost sounds kind of Sunday schoolish to even say this. But this is the basis of our contentment. Why does the psalmist, King David, say that he doesn't want anything? Why? Because what? The Lord is his shepherd. In other words, he already has what he wants and needs. He has God. And so the Lord is my shepherd is the basis for our contentment. In other words, being in relationship with God is the basis for our contentment. This isn't just seen in Psalm 23, though. We also see this in Hebrews 13. He says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We, when we read the Bible, sometimes we, we, we so miss the, the important stuff in the Bible. So when we, we read this verse, I guarantee you, everybody in this room stopped the moment it said, free from the love of money. Right, we hear that, and we, one, we just get comfortable because it says money. And two, we just get hung up right there on the command. It's like, oh, there's God wanting something again, telling us not to do something, and we just stick right there. And we miss the, the whole point of what he's saying. Why is he saying, hey, be free from the love of money and be content? So why can you be content? Don't miss the four. Always catch the four in the Bible. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so why can you be content? Why is the writer of Hebrews saying, hey, this is possible? He's saying it, why? Because it's possible to be present with God, and actually God has promised to be present with you. Right here is the basis for your full satisfaction, is the presence of God in your life, or the relationship with God. This should be sounding eerily familiar to last Sunday. You should actually be able to leave here today and be like, did he just copy last Sunday's message? Yeah, actually I did. I didn't want to work this last week. <laughs> Eerily similar. Why? Because the same truth is found throughout Scripture as the basis for a variety of different things. The basis for our contentment is we get to be with God. We get the creator of the universe promises to never leave us or forsake us. And the writer here in Hebrews is saying, that's enough. If that's all you get, guess what? That's enough. How, how can that be enough? Well, it can be enough because God in and of himself is a treasure of wealth, joy, love, relationship. And above and beyond all of that, it's enough because God is eternal. The reason that God in and of himself is enough for us, even if we have to go without stuff, is that God is an eternal being. So we may have to go without something now, but guess what? We've got God for eternity. And so the basis for our contentment first is we get to be with God. The second basis then flows right into that, and that is we can be sufficiently satisfied when we have an eternal perspective. Most of us are so caught up in the here and now, right now, what do I need? We can't lift our eyes beyond our present circumstances. When in reality, the biblical authors had a grander vision than we did. They understood that what's going on right now is not the end. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's writing about money again a little bit, but he takes a little bit of a detour. And says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Catch it again. Do I have to teach you again of what you should see here? Do you see a similar word? For. It's right there. For. So, so why can we be content? Why? We brought nothing into the world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, guess what? <laughs> you can have everything, but you're not taking any of it with you. 
he's just giving a very simple reminder here, kind of reminding people that, you know what? You're not that big of a deal. You exist very momentarily in time. If we took all of us and we just made us a nice little dot on a line of the time of history, nobody would even see your little dot or my little dot. Now, your 70 years, 80 years, 20 years, how many of your years you're, you're blessed with is a big deal for you. And then in a moment of it, it seems like a long time, but it's extremely small, especially when you look at it in light of eternity. And so the apostles reminding us here, saying, hey, guess what? The things of this world isn't what should bring you contentment because you're not taking them with you. Most of us have lost our eternal perspective that, guess what? There's life after this. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The Apostle Paul is going through some hardship. He's been physically beaten a little bit. He's facing verbal persecution. He's faced religious persecution from in his own ranks. Difficult times. And he knows that there's this yearning within him for something beyond what he has now because he knows there is something beyond the now. That is our heavenly dwelling. we got to wake up and begin to have an eternity perspective. That this isn't all there is. There's much more to come. And actually what is to come is much more important than what is here now. Because what is come is permanent. What is here now is temporary. And so today, do you have an eternal perspective? Do you realize that life doesn't end at death? It doesn't make any logical sense. Life doesn't end at death. If this is untrue, you're a fool for being here this morning. And I'm a fool for speaking this morning. If life ends at death, this is just a joke. Everything that we're talking about this morning is based off of the Bible, which is based off of a guy coming back from the dead and saying that he continued to live. If that's not true, all we're doing is, as the great governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, once said, is that you're using religion as a little cane to get through life. It's just for the weak of heart and mind. But life does not end at death. And not only do we believe that, you go outside of here, you can go to the funeral home tomorrow, I guarantee you'll find one in Sioux Falls, the funeral home tomorrow that's burying an atheist. And guess what? I can guarantee you right now is what's being said in that funeral home tomorrow. They believe in life after death. It's true, because something's been put in their heart. Even though they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, there's, there's a longing within them for something eternal. Why? Because there is something eternal. And so our contentment, our satisfaction, can come when we elevate ourselves beyond our present circumstance, no matter how dire our present circumstance is, because it cannot affect our eternal dwelling. You and I today can experience sufficient satisfaction because God promises to be with us and we have an eternal perspective. Are you practicing the presence of God? 
And have you elevated your thinking to think beyond today to eternity? Well, what's causing all of the problems? Well, why are we so discontent if we have God with us and we know the eternal promises? Well, what's causing all of the promise, problems is that we got our focus in the wrong place. When you pull up to an intersection where there's a stoplight, and on that stoplight there's arrows for the people that are turning left, where is the most dangerous place to have your focus? The most dangerous place to have your focus if you're driving straight is on the cars that are turning left. Because if you're going by the cars that are turning left, what can happen to you? Boom. You're going to get hit by the other cars turning left. You can't have your focus on them. Where do you have to have your focus? On the objective standard, the stoplight. This is true in all of our lives. I would contend this is the number one problem in our hearts, and it's called the comparison trap. We've got our focus on the people around us, and so we spend our lives comparing ourselves to others. How do we determine what's right? Well, it's good for them. It must be good for us. How do we determine what's okay to have? Well, they have it. They're good Christians. It must be okay for us. We live in a constant comparison mindset, but there's nothing more deadly. Because you can always find a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who has more and one who has less. And so, which one is it? You end up in an endless, vicious cycle of wanting more and more because everyone around you is always going to have more and more. We've got to free ourselves from this comparison trap. It's robbing us of contentment because we don't have our focus on the presence of God or the eternal promises of God, but rather we've got our focus on what others have or who others are rather than what God has promised. So, so how do we enter into this contentment? How, how do we break free from the comparison trap? Well, I want to, again, this morning, let's get practical. And so today we've got our practical application today, our PAT. Three things today, PAT. First is this. If we want to be content, we've got to start giving thanks. And not just one time of year while you're watching the Detroit Lions get beat bad on Thursday Thanksgiving. Okay? Giving thanks is not just a quick little, oh yeah, we better give thanks before supper. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray continually, give thanks always. We, our lives should be abounding with thanksgiving. Thanks moves us away from grumbling. And grumbling keeps us in a position of discontentment. And it actually fuels discontentment. And so what we've got to do is we've got to build a habit of giving thanks in any and every circumstance. So our very specific practical application this week is very similar to last week. So if you fulfilled last week's homework, you just got to adjust your prayer a little bit this week. Lord, thank you for this da-da-da-da-da. Lord, thank you for this lunch. Lord, thank you for this meeting with Frank. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to watch this. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for this walk. Again, building in your mindset, mindset in any and every circumstance, gratitude. Because what does it do? 
it begins to create contentment because it reminds us that it comes from the hand of God, but it also does something else. It reminds us of the presence of God. Because you have to give thanks to someone or something, right? This is what's always kind of weird about Thanksgiving. People get together for Thanksgiving that don't believe in God. Oh, what are you doing just kind of walking around? Who are you saying thank you to? When's the last time you said thank you to no one? It doesn't even make logical sense because you can't. And so automatically by building gratitude in our hearts, it reminds us of the presence of God, which was what? Point number one of how we can be content is through the presence of God with us. And so this next week, begin to build the habit of gratitude. Lord, thank you for this. Da, 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 da. Give thanks, our first practical application. Now our second practical application is where it gets messy. Not only do we have to give thanks, but we have to give money. And I know, oh boy, here we go. I knew you were going there, Pastor. You have to go there. No, I don't have to go there. God's Word goes there. You cannot experience contentment without giving money. But catch this. Giving money can't get you contentment. You can give all the money you want, but it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get contentment. But you can't be content without giving money. Because those who are content, those who are sufficiently satisfied with God, are going to freely release their resources for the purpose of God. So, so why do I have to, to give money? Well, I have to give money because let's all be really honest this morning, okay? Two things we have to be really honest about. The moment I brought up money, everybody got fidgety, right? The cause of most of our fidgetiness in this world is money. It's a major challenge. Finances are a big issue. It's the number one issue behind divorce. It's the number one issue behind family challenges and relationship breakdowns. Money's a big deal. So are we going to deal with it? So I've got to be willing to give money because it releases that which usually holds me captive. The number one reason I've got to give money is God tells me to. Over and over, God commands to, to give and give freely. But along with that, I have to give because it releases that which holds us captive. So what do I do? Give money? Again, it starts with honesty. And if we're really honest with ourselves, this is a major, major struggle. This is a major challenge. Number one, we don't talk about it. For whatever reason, we don't talk about how much money we make. And we don't want to talk about how much money we give. Again, I don't know exactly why this is, but this is reality. There's nothing in the Bible that says, keep quiet about money. Actually, it's probably the most talked about subject in the Bible. So are we willing to release that which God has initially given to us back to God? And so some of us this morning, we're all in a variety of place. If we went around the room this morning, we would be all over the map 
on, on where we're at giving, where we're at understanding finances. But all of us, every single one of us can do this this next week. And I literally mean this, this next week. The practical application is this. Give a faith gift now. Everybody in this room can do this this next week. For some of us, it means this. It means, you know what? A faith gift is, is I'm going to give right off the top 10%. Haven't done it before. And guess what? I don't know what kind of hardship it's going to cause. That's why it's a faith gift. You see, it's not a faith gift if I give and I, don't, and I know everything else is going to be fine. There's nothing wrong with that type of giving. That's good. But the giving that God requires and God blesses is the faith gift. That's the whole concept of tithing. The whole 10% thing, you can throw that out the window if you want to, whatever you want. But the whole concept and principle behind tithing was first fruits, which means I give right off the top to God because I expect everything God is going to provide. So for all of us here this morning, this looks different. But are you willing to give a faith gift where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to trust that God provides. So for some, that's just taking that initial step of regular doing that. For some of you this morning, it's this though. It's time to look at that storehouse a little bit. And it's time to say, you know what, we've got X and Y planned that we want to do, but here's what a faith gift would look like. We're going to give of X and Y and trust that God's going to provide for this want that we have or this need that we have. That's a faith gift. I, I, I want to praise you and encourage you and thank you for your giving. It, it's great. It's appreciated. My, my concern is not are we meeting budget, going above budget, going below budget. Our concern is are we giving by faith, trusting that God's going to continue to provide. And, and here's what it does. Giving a faith gift requires you to what? Trust God. It actually puts you in a position then of what? Practicing the presence of God. You're actually saying, you know what? God is sufficiently enough, even if we don't get this want that we had down the road or this need. Are you ready to give a faith gift now? Here's the number one question that I get about finances. The number one question about finances. It has to do with something most of us, not me, I'm not that old, but most of us are getting near the range of retirement, right? Retirement's a big deal. Let's just put that on the table. The number one financial question is this. Well, how much should I save for retirement? And, and we've got to have this. You know, the Bible doesn't, again, it's not an instruction manual that answers everything. There's not really anything in the Bible about retirement, so we don't have a lot of guidance there. But principles that we have from the Bible are this, especially when it comes around this concept of retirement. How much should you save for retirement? Enough so that you're not a burden to your neighbor. Enough so that you're not a burden to your neighbor. Now, you're, we can debate all day long about what is enough. And that's between you and God of what you've got to determine is real need and what is enough. But the goal of God in our financial management is not to save for the purpose of wealth building. But the purpose of wealth building for the, is for the kingdom of God. 
Again, I'm, I know we're all uncomfortable right now. I can see it. This is a reality that if you want to experience contentment, it begins by walking by faith in our finances. Are you willing to take a step? Give a faith gift this next week. And here's what I'd even say. This shows that it has nothing to do with King of Glory. Give the faith gift to someone else. Go to Gideon's International and give them the faith gift this next week. Give it to somewhere where Jesus is being proclaimed around the world in some fashion. If you don't, if you're like, ah, oh, it's just about King of Glories. No, if you don't believe that, then give it somewhere else. The main thing is this, is that a faith gift is given. What an amazing opportunity we have to manage God's resources for him. The final thing we'll say about money, and then we move on, I promise, is grab your pen and write down this question. Does your giving reflect that God is enough and that eternity is a reality? Does your giving reflect that God is enough and that eternity is a reality? Does your giving reflect that God is enough and that eternity is a reality? So if we're going to pursue contentment, we've got to give thanks. We've got to give money. And, and finally, we've got to build authentic relationships. And you might be saying, what in the world? This is like a 180. You're talking about contentment. Now you're talking about building authentic relationships. What do you, what do you mean? Two reasons we've got to build authentic relationships. Number one. The presence of God, what, is the basis for our contentment? Where is the presence of God experienced? With the people of God. We talked about this last Sunday. You cannot experience the presence of God without the people of God. You're not a lone ranger. So you've got to build authentic relationships because that's where you experience the presence of God. It says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is unseen, but that when brothers and sisters love one another, God himself is made manifest. So God is seen. You've got to build authentic relationships to experience the presence of God. The second reason you've got to build authentic relationships is this. So many of us are under pressure to be somebody else. It's robbing us of our contentment. And the reason we're trying to be somebody else is we don't have people that we can be ourselves around. This isn't just a middle school problem. This is a vice president of U.S. Bank problem. This is a doctor at a Vera McKinnon problem. Trying to be someone who we're not. And what that just robs us of contentment because then what? I'm constantly fixated on what others are thinking of me. Do you have people who allow you to be who you are? Now for some of us like myself who's a little bit quirky, this takes some pretty special people to find. Have you found anyone who allow you to be who you are? And so your very practical challenge this next week is this. Don't go to share and tell at school, but instead I want you to consider, I'm sorry, skipped right over. Can you go back to that for me, Matt? Go back, share and ask. So here's what you need to do this next week. You need to find someone, you need to share a stress point with them, and you need to ask them about a stress point in their life. This is how you build authentic relationship is through vulnerability. It doesn't, 
you don't have authentic relationship if you don't have this. And this allows you to begin to process through who you are and to be yourself when you have these relationships in place. But you have to be willing to take initiative. Are you willing to share a stress point with someone and ask them for a stress point? Do you have people where you can be yourself so you're not constantly succumbing to the pressure to be someone else? Give thanks, give money, build authentic relationships. If we're going to pursue contentment, we must have those things as a part of our everyday life. Contentment is an extremely rare jewel. There was a book written many, many years ago called Contentment, a Rare Jewel. This author spent a lot of time reflecting upon how contentment may be the very thing in Christendom that's missing the most. And this is 100 years ago, at least, that this was written, before we even entered into really the modern era of more and more and more stuff. Even then, it was a challenge. And that author reflected on C.S. Lewis a lot, and that author also reflected then on St. Augustine. And he said this, A soul that is capable of God, can be filled with nothing else but God. Nothing but God can fill a soul that is capable of God. Soul simply means your being. Every human being is created in the image of God. In other words, you are created by God for God. And so your soul can only experience satisfaction where you are where you were created to be, with God. I've got a garage at home, probably very similar to many of you. And many of you know my garage challenges over the years. We've rarely used the garage for vehicles. Last winter, we went all winter, and not one car parked in there the whole winter. Well, I'm committing to you today while my wife is gone, so she's gone. She doesn't even know this. And so you can check on me on this. I am committing to you that this next winter, the garage which was made for a car will have my wife's car in it every night. Because what? A garage is made for a car. And a car is made for a garage. So it makes sense to put the car in the garage. What a crazy concept. (laughs) Your soul was created by God God. Therefore, the only way your soul is going to experience sufficient satisfaction is if you have God. And there is only one way to have God, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, the only way to break out of the if-only trap, the only way to break out of the if-only trap is this. It's only if Jesus is your Savior, for it's through Him that we have a relationship with God where we get our contentment. And so today, are you willing to say, Jesus will be your Prince of Peace. Jesus will be your Savior. Only if then will we be content. And so today, in your soul, what are you going to park What are you going to park in your soul? 
Is it the next great toy? Or are you going to park that which is eternal? God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you with thankful hearts. We want to acknowledge that we're thankful for this. A place to worship, we're thankful for this. Songs to sing, we're thankful for this. People to gather with. God, we're thankful for all of this. God, we also come before you now asking that you'd work in our hearts to release that which oftentimes holds our hearts, money. So God, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move upon each of us, myself included, to give a faith gift. God, give us discernment on what that faith gift is and where it goes. But God, move in us to bring you glory. Release us from captivity to money. And Lord, I also pray now then that you would surround each of us with people. Lord, I pray that you'd put a person on each of our hearts or our minds that we can go to and build a relationship. I pray for those who don't know someone, God, I pray that you'd put someone in their path that would initiate a relationship with them. God, we thank you that you have given yourself through your son Jesus Christ to us. And we acknowledge that it's only through him that we have peace. And so we ask now that you give us the gift of faith and that you would enable and empower us to live a life of faith through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you and we praise you for satisfying our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.